This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Hello and welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm Drew Dixon. I am the chief content nerd here at Love Thy Nerd. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Chris Gwaltney. Hey, Chris. Hey, I'm Chris. I am the chief executive nerd with Love Thy Nerd. And uh, this is Humans of Gaming, where we, you know, want to talk to the people behind all these games we consume at an alarming rate. Uh, sometimes it's easy to forget that there's real living, breathing, sweating humans behind these games. So we like to talk to them and get to know them a little bit and hear their story. That's right. And so that human that we're talking to <laughs> is Andrian Benige. Hey, Andrian, how are you? Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Dude, nailed his last name. Just nailed it. <laughs> how often do people like just eviscerate your last name? Oh, God, that's that's like the story <laughs> of my life. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not so it's Nigerian, right? It's uh, Nigeria. I was born in Nigeria, born and raised in Nigeria. And mm -hmm. it is um, from the Edo tribe, actually. That's where that's my dad from my dad's side of the family. Um, uh, fun fact, they were actually like old royalty going back a few oh, generations. Wow. I, I'd oh. done a little thing where I um, kind of traced the family tree back, but without having mm -hmm. to submit my DNA to some shady government organization. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I traced my family tree back and I, I, I put a thread on Twitter, so I might, I might link it to you guys afterwards. But, um, yeah, I found out that like, uh, you know, we had some Obas who are like the Kings of the old Benin tribe, um, in our family. And so that was pretty cool. But yeah, Benige is, uh, it's Nigerian. So it's not, I, I don't want to say it's not common, but it's not one of those that like a lot of people encounter because in Nigeria in general, um, people get named after the circumstances of their birth. So like my Nigerian name is, uh, comes as a result of me being a firstborn son, right? Which is a big deal okay. in Nigeria. So mm. yeah. yeah, it's not something that people come across often and the G in front of it is silent. So it's being gay. So the proper, the proper address now will be your majesty. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to print, put a, We'll put Prince in the title. So prince, now, oh God, the no, first boy. Yeah. That's the thing, right? It's like, oh, Nigerian Prince. I'm like, you know, actually I am. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, sounds like you made out pretty well with your name, though, because like if if you're named after the circumstances of your birth, you could be na have a name that means like horrible pains and <laughs> uh, or something like I think for the most so for the most part, they generally tend to be Nigeria is a super religious country. Um, it's kind of equally split between Muslim and Christian. I was born, uh, I was, I grew up in a Christian household, but they generally tend to exalt God, even if it's like a terrible situation. They try and find a silver lining in it. So okay. the easiest one is most people get named after the day of you know the day of the month that they uh, you know the day of the week sorry that they were born so you tend to get a lot of Sundays and Tuesdays like I had a lot of friends who were named after actual days but then some people kind of like drill down into like you know the the language so it's Yoruba or Igbo or Hausa or whatever and then when you translate that name it means something so um, this is actually something that's like super uh, well known because I don't go by that name often um, but Esiosa which is my Nigerian name is Edo for gift of God, again, because I was a firstborn son and my parents had been trying for a boy, you know, to continue the family line. So, yeah, no pressure, though. <laughs> oh, God. My I think my dad has given up on me at this point because I'm 34. Oh, okay. And he's yeah. like, he, he used to ask me all the time, when, when, when am I going to have some grandkids? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you're going to be waiting a while. So. Oh, yeah. Do you, so your, your parents still live in Nigeria? Yeah, actually, so um, my uh, yeah, my dad is in Nigeria. He's kind of in between Nigeria and London. So when I was 14, I moved to the UK, mostly for school. Um, the Nigerian school system at the time, uh, a lot of other countries didn't recognize the end of secondary exams that you take. So if you'd finished school in Nigeria and then gone to the UK or to the US or Canada or wherever, you'd have had to retake the last year because they didn't recognize those examinations. So a lot of my, uh, myself and a lot of my peers just kind of moved halfway through to seamlessly transition into wherever we wanted to go to university. So I moved to the UK um, when I was 14 and then carried on schooling there. 
And so he had a place in London and that's where we'd go for like summer holidays and stuff like that. And then my sisters are both still in London. Well, we should say uh, your connection to gaming. We haven't talked about that. <laughs> uh, you are the product marketing manager at Ubisoft Montreal. Is that right? I am a product marketing manager at Ubisoft. Uh, at Ubisoft. I want you to be the like. Yeah, the as far as we're concerned, yeah. you this are is, the. Because I mean, majesty. you're yeah, you're you're royalty. So yeah, let's just go ahead. And you're the only so one in product our eyes. marketing. <laughs> So you're telling us you're a product marketing manager for Ubisoft Montreal, but it sounds like you're getting ready to move to Toronto. Is that right? Uh, yes, I'm in, in the process of moving to Toronto very soon. And so I worked on to go over the gaming thing real quick. Um, I joined Ubisoft as a community manager about five, a little over five years ago. It had been my dream to work on Assassin's Creed. And um, so when when the team asked me to join them, I was like, uh, when do you need me to move straight away? I actually worked remotely from the UK for a year while they sorted out the immigration and got me a work permit and all that stuff. Then I moved to the moved to Montreal, started working out of the Montreal office. I worked on a few Assassin's Creed titles. I actually shipped seven Assassin's Creed titles. Um, <laughs> Yeah, which is like like a third. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, a tenth, like... a tenth of the Assassin's Creed games. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hot takes from Drew. <laughs> and then um, the last Assassin's Creed title I was on was Assassin's Creed Origins, and that was when I switched to product marketing. So I was product marketing man, one of four product marketing managers on Assassin's Creed Origins, and then I went on to the For Honor team. Um, I shipped the expansion, the Marching Fire expansion, which came out last year with them. And then I'm going to move to the Toronto studio. I'm just, uh, you know, going on that's to cool. new and different things. So that's how you know Osama, I guess, because we were talking about Osama Dorius, who's yes. been on this podcast earlier, from working on For Honor with him, I assume? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he cool. was kind of transitioning off just as I was jumping on. But I'd known him from Twitter, and a lot of people, like, were mutual, we have mutual friends in the industry. So mm. Yeah, he's a cool dude. Well, good, man. So now you're getting ready to move to Toronto and... Um, what, what will you be working on there? Can you give us like unannounced things? <laughs> ah, nice. Okay, are you sure you don't want to like leak them right now? I mean, Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I like my job. Thank you. Oh uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> man, we don't want to endanger your job at all. So no, but that's cool. So we're, we'll be looking forward to whatever's next from you. That's really cool. So you mentioned, um, you know, like getting involved with Assassin's Creed and stuff. Like what is, what do you love about the Assassin's Creed games? And think back to before you were, you know, had a vested interest, but like what kind of drew you to those games or wanted you to, you know, get to work on those things? Oh God. So it's, it's funny. I've, I've told the story a few times, one of which was actually on a documentary that we did for Assassin's Creed. And so it was weird being part of the documentary, having worked on Assassin's Creed. And I was kind of like the narrative sort of like bridge between a few different things on that documentary. But um, it was Assassin's Creed 2. I distinctly remember playing as Ezio and running on the rooftops of Venice. And then the ambient sort of like music, the soundtrack kicked in. And I, I don't know. I don't it's weird. Like I've never really been able to explain it properly, but the combination of that running action, the music and sort of like the scenery on that rooftop just kind of like got to me. And I, st I paused the game and I was like, I, I want to make stuff. I want to know how all of this comes together to become a game that is like hooked me. Right. And so that was the, that was the moment where I, um, I started on the path to trying to, you know, work in video games. And I know for a lot of people, it's like, I want to work in video games. Maybe they know what position they want to be in video games, and it doesn't really matter where in games they work in. But for me, it was always, I want to work at Ubisoft. I want to work at Ubisoft Montreal. I want to work on Assassin's Creed. This is the goal. So everything I kind of did was towards that. And and I, had, uh, I was making YouTube videos at the time. I was a YouTuber, um, and I was doing games media for a friend's website. I was kind of like their deputy editor. So I'd write news articles and I would do reviews as well and stuff like that. I'd go to press events and I'd get previews. I was, I was doing all that stuff. Um, but the videos were kind of what took off because I was one of a few people who was doing Assassin's Creed related videos on YouTube at the time. And specifically the games that had multiplayer, right? So Brotherhood and up until Assassin's Creed 4. Very few people were doing that, mostly because I think a lot of people didn't really understand the multiplayer. But also, yeah, it's just one of those that, like, I was one of a few people who was doing it. And then Machinima reached out and wanted to partner my channel as a result of um, Gabe Graziani, who's a 
community developer at Ubisoft and became a really good friend of mine and kind of like my mentor. He had been featuring some of my videos on the Facebook page for Assassin's Creed at the time, which was growing exponentially. So suddenly I had gone from an audience of like a thousand people watching my videos, which I considered like, oh my God, I hit the mark. Mm, yeah. 25,000 people all of a sudden. And I was like, oh God, what's going on? Right. So oh, wow. <laughs> as yeah. a result of those videos, Machinima offered me a contract, parted me. So I was suddenly making money from these videos. And then I kind of expanded out of the, the multiplayer scene and started doing podcasts. So I did an, I did a, I'm really proud of this. I think I did a Assassin's Creed podcast, which I was doing with a few friends. And occasionally I'd get Gabe or another member of the dev team to come on and just talk about topics for the community to the point where Ubisoft, the Assassin's Creed team were like, hey, you've been doing this and we're thinking of doing podcasts, but rather than doubling up efforts, why does why not just make yours the official podcast? And so for a time, my fan run podcast became the official Assassin's Creed podcast, which was <laughs> wow. mind blowing. <laughs> so yeah. it was kind of like and so at this time, it. like at this time you were like working a regular, like a normal job. Yeah. I assume. Yeah, I was uh I got my degree in economics and I was working in a bank, but I was doing all of this stuff on the side. And but when I decided <laughs> That's a bit of a bit of a contrast there. Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 crazy, right? And um it's, it's funny. So when I decided I wanted to work in video games, uh, yeah, my, my dad has always been like, we, him and I have always been super close, but that was a little tense because he's a Nigerian parent and they believe that like, if you're not working in finance or medicine or aeronautical engineering or anything that's going to make you a ton of money so that you can look after them in, in their old age, that like you're failing. Oh, so it's like about them. <laughs> it's always oh, totally about them. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he That's would funny. play video games. This is a phase, right? I was like, no, this is what I want to do. I was like, okay, cool. Come back to me in like a year when you, you've gotten out of that. But I, I kept on doing it. Uh, eventually, he eventually came around to it. He, The reason he came around, if you don't mind me saying, it was um, uh, the Assassin's Creed movie. We did some promotional stuff for it. And I was very lucky to be on the red carpet with Michael Fassbender and Michael K. Williams and Marion Cotillard and all of those folks. And so he saw a video that I did where I'm interviewing various members of the team and some of the cast and stuff like that. And he, he emailed me and goes, this is you? This is what you do? I was like, it's one of the things <laughs> I do. He's like, huh, I didn't realize video games was like this. I was like, isn't that so <laughs> funny that like it takes... Even though video games, like as an industry, eclipses movies and music combined, like in terms of dollars, that like I've because I don't think your your dad is alone in that. Like, oh, now it's serious because there's a movie mm -hmm. about it. You know, like that's just yeah, so yeah. interesting to me that even though video games is is just exponentially larger, it still feels like underground or something. Mm -hmm. I've never been able to understand that. Yeah, I've had a lot of people like do that with me too like all um they sort of don't pay attention to anything we do with all nerd and just or just they know that i do it but they think it's weird and then i'll publish an article for some like more mainstream site and they're like oh like i didn't know this was all of a sudden they want to talk to me about it you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's uh i mean nothing like like your experience um with uh with actually you know you guys getting a movie made on your uh on your ip but uh but it is funny how there's that weird stigma about it yeah and so that he suddenly was very interested i mean i get it but he invited all of his friends to his office to come and watch this video i sent i sent <laughs> just back to give to them and, and games and Aww. stuff like, oh this is what he's doing you must be so proud and he's like yeah so yeah proud, no, dad. So proud. i'm like okay sure <laughs> that's funny get a movie who knew all it took was to get a movie made about your ip yeah. and then dad's uh dad's happy no that's great there's so many things i love about that story i think maybe the thing that i love most about your story is that you actually stated a dream of working on a specific game and like here you are doing it boom i'm very i i understand that i mean i i i'm old enough now to know that like i can't i'm not going to ever diminish the work i put in i know i'm very fortunate and had a lot of people kind of like in my corner helping me along the way but yeah it's i I always used to pinch myself. I'm like, I'm living the dream. I'm here at the time. I'm like, I'm a community manager in Assassin's Creed. I am running these social accounts that totaled in the millions of people. I'm going to all of these events. Like, we have an amazing community. 
I work with fantastic developers and we're creating really cool interactive like entertainment. Like I it just it was mind blowing, you know? I think for me the what I liked about or something that jumped out to me with with that story is that you were working at a bank <laughs> and yet in your, you know, free time or what little you had, you were still like chasing that dream. And I find that, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and usually it's like younger people that are like, oh man, I'm just going to drop everything and, you know, quit my job and go after whatever this dream is. And it's like, man, it's okay to work a day job. And in your spare time, in your free time, that's when you go after those things and start poking holes and seeing what, what fits and what works and, and make that kind of slower transition or, or whatever, you know? Oh yeah. Um, that's cause that's, that's what I hear from people. That's the experience I've had personally and that I've heard from other people. And so I think there's a lot of merit in that of like, Hey, it's okay to pay bills and <laughs> you know, make, make sure you can put food on the table, especially if you have a family and that kind of stuff. Um, and then, and see where things go, like see where your passion leads you. And if, Hey, you get to quit your, your day job, then dude, that's, that's the dream, you know? No, absolutely. I mean, like it's one of those, and it's not, nearly is not that it was like um rare for what happened to me to happen at the time in the industry but it's a lot more common now since since i got in but um i think it's one of those things that like i think a lot of people look at it and you, you see so for instance you, you look at like twitch which is part of the, the you know huge part of the gaming ecosystem now you see a lot of people who like some people make it overnight some people just have a big break and suddenly they're a huge twitch star and they get to quit their day job or whatever but then not everybody is in that situation you know some people have the benefit of you know other sources of income to be able to pay those bills or whatever but a lot of people are going to have to you know grind and it's going to have to be in spare time right that time that you might be relaxing from the day job is the time you go right here's my passion and here's what i'm going to do and all of this extra work so yeah are you still doing youtube videos and stuff i don't do them nearly as much anymore uh when i joined ubisoft one of those things because when I when I was doing the YouTube videos, a lot of it was like looking at Assassin's Creed for I don't even necessarily say it was a critical lens, but like you know, there were times where I was going to say things that were, you know, uh, not complimentary about the series yeah. or whatever, right? So yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, I mean, a player of the company now is like it's a different matter entirely. So like I put that on the back burner, um, but I've always had a passion for video editing as well. So I realized I could still scratch that itch. Like when I would go to conventions, I'd vlog, so I'd document sort of like what I was doing and what I could show and then put that into like a 12, 13 minute kind of vlog of my experiences and the audience that stayed on my YouTube channel in that time really enjoyed that because like it's a glimpse almost behind the curtain and just sort of like brings them along with me. That's actually one of like the catchphrases. I'm like, okay, I'm going to E3 and you're coming along. And so it's like, it's a, you know, vlog style video of like what I'm getting up to and people I'm meeting and stuff and kind of bringing them into that world a little bit. So that's what I still do with the channel. It's not, I mean, when I was doing YouTube, I was posting at least three times a week. You, I mean, I, you, you guys are familiar with it. You have to keep up with it. Like there's trends and stuff like that, but like also the algorithm, you've got to keep up. Otherwise, like suddenly you have a dead channel. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't post anything like greedy gameplay related anymore. It's just vlogs at this point. It's just my face. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. It's interesting too that you mentioned uh, the multiplayer Assassin's Creed stuff because I remember like. That was actually what got me in. I think I'm a pretty rare... My backstory of my connection to Assassin's Creed is probably pretty rare, but I remember playing Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Uh, I bought it to play it with a friend of mine because he was like, I love the multiplayer of this. And uh, that was a blast. It's actually kind of bums me out that... um, that that system didn't... It didn't really catch on, right? Like, it's it's not... um, what was it? I've never done any of the multiplayer. Like, what's it? Give me so, the pitch. To, to, I mean, like, sort of really high level, but it was it was kind of like cat and mouse, right? So the 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 sort of like main mode. Let's take Wanted, which was a main mode, right? So it's like it was a free for all. Eight players are kind of like in this simulation, and you're then randomly assigned a target, and you know you become somebody else's target as well. So your goal is to try and find your target and assassinate them while escaping the people who are hunting you. And as you go further up the leaderboard, you're assigned more hunters. 
So it became as much a game of your offense as it was your ability to stay alive long enough to kill your targets without being killed. So, you know, you were given a variety of sort of like uh, tools at your disposal that, you know, translated also into the single players. Like you'd have smoke bombs or you'd have throwing knives and stuff that you could use to like stun your pursuers and or slow down the people that you were hunting to try and get the kill. But there was also modifiers on the kills that you got. So you got almost got like style points as it were. So like you could like wait to get a focus, for instance, and this meter would fill up. And if you waited long enough and held your nerve, you get an extra 150 points for focusing your target and then killing them. Or if you killed them uh, without being detected, you got more bonus modifiers and stuff like that. So there was, it was really, it was like kind of, it was really cerebral actually. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it because it was, it wasn't deathmatch style where it was just, you know, there was, there were team modes as well, where it's like, you know, your team of four hunting another team of four and this and the other, there was like capture the flag variants and, and a lot of things that were put in, but that was the basis of it. It was like, you were all Abstergo agents um, in this simulation and you were training to take on the assassins and using their techniques to try and become better. Dude, that sounds rad. Yeah, that's what I loved about it was it felt like um, it wasn't just totally like you have to be really good at, like have really good dexterity or something to, or reflexes, to be good at kind it. Of stuff. Yeah, it was like, it felt like victory was all about, um, well, there's a lot of subtlety to it, like yeah. playing playing your part really well and blending into the environment and like not showing your hand and so there's a lot of like planning that went into it rather than just like being the best at pressing buttons or moving sticks. <laughs> yeah. Um so so you grew up in Nigeria until you were 14. What was what was that like? Wow, I mean it was fun. I so it's it's kind of crazy. It's always crazy to me to look back because I haven't been back in the last couple of years, but the last time I went back, Nigeria was a complete and Lagos specifically where I grew up. It's completely different to what it was like growing, you know, when I was, when I was a kid. Um, and Lagos has always kind of like bucked the trend a little bit because I know there's this image of African countries in general and African cities that is, it's weird. It's been exported, not exported, has been exported by, I guess I'm going to say the U S kind of like this, this image of what Africa looks like from people who kind of go on safaris and whatnot and don't, don't kind of like go outside of that bubble. But like Lagos has always kind of been a really metropolitan city, but there's there's a lot of poor areas, right? But like it's really grown since in the last time I went back because there's malls and stuff which we didn't really have when I was growing up, right? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, Lagos was so much. It was so much fun, and it's one of those things. that's like there's the culture, Nigerian culture, just like runs through everything right it's like the markets the public transport like the police uh, you know unfortunately the corruption that runs through there as well like mm. getting to mm. i'll tell you a story about like going to the international airport murtala mohammed international airport it was named after uh one of the, <coughs> like um military generals that had ruled um that had kind of like presided over nigeria for a while and um going there the route Heading towards that, there's only one major, there was only one major road at the time going to the airport. So it's like, if you didn't leave at a particular time to get your night flight, you were caught in the worst traffic. If anyone who lives in LA thinks they've got traffic, you have never seen (laughs) Lagos traffic. It's just insane. And so you had to like, you had to time for that. Then you'd get to the airport. And then because it was still kind of like a growing hub, you know, everybody that worked at the airport was trying to, you know, like make sure they had a good day. And so you'd have to maybe like slip somebody a little something to make sure that your bag got priority check in or whatnot. And it wasn't like <laughs> oh, automated yeah. in any way. It was about knowing somebody who knew someone who would make sure that like you could get to the gate. It was insane. But like that was that was how people survived. Right. That was how you had to live. Um, so I, I'm very glad for that. I'm very glad for having that life experience in like. I, I want to say it's street smarts to a certain degree. And it's like, you know, just knowing how to get a, how to get by. Um, even though like, you know, we, we lived fairly comfortably and, and then my dad got a new job. And so like we, we moved to a bigger house and this, that and the other, but it was still like, if he sent me to the market, you know, I couldn't, 
it, you, you weren't supposed to be like this privileged little kid who went to like private school or whatever. Like you, you have to go to the market and buy stuff and not get swindled by <laughs> the market seller who was trying to get more money from you for yam or whatever it is you're trying to get. Right. So you need to, you needed to like be, have your wits about you all the time. So yeah. you're a good haggler. I should take you if I go buy a car. Well, I mean, I, I, I feel like I was a good enough, I mean, my economics degree came into handy, uh, came handy, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, working in a bank and like, hey, do you want a loan? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And you said earlier you grew up in a Christian family or? Yes. Parents was, um, were, were religious? Yeah, we were. Um, growing up, we were very religious and we went to church every Sunday and then sometimes during the week as well. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with sort of like the really sort of like a Pentecostal um, African sort of like Christianity, but like, oh, obviously, you know, it's it, a little again, bit. You know, that kind I don't of know like, how it translates. I've been to um, I've been to Tanzania uh and experienced that a little bit. I did like a like a mission trip thing. Actually, like spoke at a pastor's conference there but i don't know if that's like if that and it was charismatic or like charismatic compared to what like my experience growing up in the church but i I don't know how that translates to nigeria so nigeria is probably even more extra but um yeah it's uh that's that's what it is like it's 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 there's there's that charisma but it's also very animated um and so that was what it that was what it was and of course when, when you contrast it against the problems that like, you know, Nigeria had after we gained our independence uh, from the British in 1960 up until that point, um, you know, a lot of people had thrown their faith into their faith in that, like, look, this is how we're going to get through things. And this is how Nigeria is going to get better. So yeah, it was super, we're super religious. We actually started off um, going to Baptist church and then we switched to sort of like a Protestant, um, so like kind of like evangelical thing. And uh, and it was one of the bigger churches. So, you know, you'd go there and it's like thousands of people in this like open air kind of like Coliseum thing. And we'd have the once every two months gathering. It's like the big gatherings that like the church would take ads out for <laughs> on TV and radio. It's like, come and get your blessings. Like this is going to be a night of anointment and all of this stuff. And it was huge. And like it would be part of it would be televised. And it was just lots of people. And it's just a night of prayer. And of course, as a kid, you're like, yeah, sure, that's great. So <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen skits that people do of like African parents or specifically Nigerian parents. But in church, there was just a, like you you could not push the boat. Right. You had you, you had to close your eyes and pray. I mean, first of all, you had to go to church in like your Sunday best. Right. Like you had to be looking your best because you're in the house of God. Like you've had, like he cares what you're wearing, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask if, like, if you were into, if you in, were into it, like you, like you were into all the 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 charismatic stuff, or if you if you went through the motions. But because I think, like a lot of kids, it's it doesn't like connect with you yet, or, or you don't get it necessarily. But it sounds like you were sort of expected to be into it. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, you didn't, you didn't really have a choice. Um, but there was a period, I, I want to say like the period from like when I was five till 12, whereas, where it was like, eh, I'm going because I have to. And then like there was, before I went to the UK, there was a, there was a period where I was like, okay, I'm really into this. I'm like, I'm reading my Bible every day. And like, I believe, you know, and like, I'm here because I want to be, you know, I'd be like, hey, when are we, we I'm ready for church. And like, we still have an hour. Okay, well, I'm ready kind of thing, right? So there was a, there was like a, two-year period where but yeah prior to that i think um like all of my peers we were just there because it's like our parents had to be there and so we had to be there and like we didn't really care about sunday school kind of thing but we were there and <laughs> so yeah I but no it was like you said it's super charismatic and like the pastors you know and and those gatherings they'd bring like seven or eight different visiting pastors so it's like it's not just like your hour and a half sort of like sermon it was like four hours long because like everybody else has to say their own thing. And every pastor has prepared this PowerPoint. He didn't, it wasn't a PowerPoint, but like, you know, so like bajillion slides of like, this is what you need to do. Here's another offering basket going around for the building fund. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so where, like, did, do you still practice your faith? Are you still, would you still consider yourself a Christian or what, where did you land now? So right now, I guess I'm, I think it's one of those things that doesn't fully I don't, I don't know how it is for other people, actually. I don't think it ever fully leaves you in that, like, I will still pray on matters. 
you know, it's, mm-hmm. and I think that's about where I am, right? It's that, like, I don't, I don't go to church. I haven't been in forever, but like, if I have something in my life where I'm like, okay, this is, this is a tough point, or this is a path where like I'm at a crossroads or whatever, I will, I will stop and pray about it. And it's like, that's, that's still what I hold on to. But other than mm-hmm. that, I don't, I don't practice outside of that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So would you still like, would you consider yourself then a Christian now? Like, do you, I think do you think I, about it that way even? I think I would. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, if I had to take a box on like a survey or a census or whatever, I totally, I totally would put Christian, but it's like, I'm, I'm also very aware of in comparison to other people who call themselves Christians and people who do practice, I'm not anywhere near there, but it's like, in terms of faith, sure. I believe in God. And like I said, I pray on matters. Um, especially when they're, you know, they're super important. So, you know, I pray for my friends, you know, who are having things and I'll tell them that as well. And, and they all, they all understand. So. Yeah. Do you, um, do you get a hard time for your parents about not going to church and stuff? No, I, and so the thing, the relationship I had with my dad, um, he's always kind of like been that, like I said, he's always been that constant in my life. And I think as I, he kind of, he was a super strict African parent. Like, you know, if I brought, <laughs> I'd go to school and like, he'd tell me my introduction to video games, actually, and this is related. When I was six, he got me an S um, and I played Super Mario Brothers. And then he, after I played like the first level, he told me, now this, you can only touch it, you know, when you do well in your exams at school. And then he put it right at the top of the highest cupboard in my room. So I couldn't reach it, but I could always see it. So that was my motivation. to <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Uh, we need to meet your dad. <laughs> so that was my motivation. And so I'd bring back all A's and he'd be like, okay, you can go and get the Nintendo and I'd like play all summer and this, that, and the other one. Um, but yeah, he was, you know, he was always super strict with us and this, that, and the other. But as I grew older, um, I think he, when he was convinced that he had done his part well enough at, at, you know, during the formative stages of my life, he kind of mellowed out on a lot of things. And that was one of them, right? Because like, I remember... Whenever he'd call me and I was in university, he'd be like, have you prayed? Did you go to church today? And this, that, and the other. And then he suddenly stopped asking because I think he realized it's like, you're your own man now. You make your own decision. And like, you know what you need to do to get by. And if that involves church, then sure. And if it doesn't, cool, whatever. But, you know, I. Uh... So, yeah, no, he's, he's fine with it. That's interesting. Like that. Do you find that's maybe something specific to like you know, Nigerian parents, that sort of, cause I've found that, you know, if I'm thinking of like my own parents or other people we've talked to, like that have grown up around here, uh, parents can be overbearing and <laughs> they never leave you alone. Um, <laughs> so I'm wondering like, do you, th- or is that maybe just something specific to your dad and your parents? Um, no, I think it's, I think that's a universal thing actually. But, uh, cause I know I lo- a lot of my friends whose, whose parents are still on them all the time. But part of it for me as well was I, from very early on, actually, once I moved to the UK um, and I was in school there, I think I started becoming a lot more independent a lot sooner than he had anticipated. But he also realized that that was a tide he couldn't push back against. Um, and so that, I think that was where the mellowing out kind of started. So when, I did, when it came time to, for instance, when it came time to go to university, um, I'm not quite sure how it works in the US, but in the UK, you kind of, you, your school gives you all this uh, UCAS form and you fill out the three universities, the three picks that you have. And then based on your grades, those universities make you offers, provisional or, you know, um, unconditional offers and whatnot based on, based on what you're scheduled to get and then what you do actually get. But my three choices were all in Manchester, which is like a good four hours from London, northwards, because I wanted to be as far away from London as possible. <laughs> um, and yeah. he looks at the UCAS form and he goes, none of these are Oxford or Cambridge, and I, because those are like the top universities. And I'm like, yeah, no, you see, for economics, Manchester is like the top place. It wasn't really. It was the third. But... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also wanted, yeah, I wanted to be in Manchester because a lot of my friends were going there. It was far enough away that they'd have to give me notice if they were coming to visit and Manchester United were there and I wanted to watch them play. So like, Uh, there it is, it was, it was was all of those things, but the main thing for me was like, just get as far away from London as possible. I just wanted to like spread my wings and be me, you know, right. I'd been 
in a not I, a sheltered is not the right word, but like I said, you know, my parents were very strict, and I understand and I get it. But I think I was like I'd had enough of that, and I wanted to kind of like live life. So, so you don't like London, or was it just because oh, you just kind of wanted to get out? No, yeah, I wanted to just be far away from home. Um, I love London. London's great. Um, it's it's it has a um, think New York, but just with more of sort of like the British stiff upper lip and a bit more polite. <laughs> People were a bit more polite in New York. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, London is great, and it's so it's a huge melting pot, right? The you can be in North London and have like kind of like you know your typical sort of like aristocratic kind of like British people. And then like you go to the South London Brixton and it's just sort of like Caribbeans and Africans and just like, it's, it's insane. You go to West London uh, and then there's like a lot of people from like uh, the Indian subcontinent, for instance, and, and this, that, mm-hmm. and then like you're in East London and it's just, it's so different wherever you are in that city. And it was great. I loved it. I just didn't want to be in university there. So yeah, you're, yeah. you're still a Manchester United fan. I am, unfortunately. (laughs) That's the only thing Drew heard. He's not been listening since you said that. So you're you're going to laugh because I I was a Manchester United fan. Um, I am still a Manchester United fan, but I used to play rugby. That's that's the other sport you play in in the UK, right? Um, So I was introduced to rugby when I got to... Is that popular in Nigeria too? It's becoming a lot more. I mean, so Nigeria is a former British colony, but a lot of the TV and a lot of stuff, entertainment we were introduced to and exposed to was piped in from the US, which I never really understood, but whatever. Yeah. So I was watching a lot of American football um, and a lot of the Simpsons and stuff like that. Like I, that was, oh my God, Saturday AM cartoons. That was my life. Mm. You know, (laughs) I would do all my chores and then I'd sit down and I'd start with He-Man and then I'd go into Brave Star and then I'd watch Transformers. I did did all that stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, So yeah. so You're right there with us. Yeah. Yeah. We're all, we're all the same age. So we're there. And so moving to the UK, one of the first sort of like memories I have of rugby is getting onto the rugby field and going, hey, I want to try this. And the coach going, looking me up and down and going, you look fast. Go onto the wing and just run as fast as you can when you get the ball. I was like, fine, I can do that, whatever. I've seen American football. This ball is shaped the same. Yeah. I actually can do this. <laughs> so I got it, sprinted past everybody, got into the end zone and spiked the ball, which you don't do in rugby. <laughs> but that was because that was what uh, I had watched. And then he comes running up to me. He's like, Andy, Andy. You did everything right except spiking the ball. We don't do that in rugby. You touch it down. I'm like, oh, okay. So <laughs> that was that was how that. So um, so I was a huge rugby fan uh, when I started playing it. But as far as American football, my dad and I used to go to games, and the first team we watched live uh, was the Rams. We actually went to that Super Bowl where they played the Titans, uh, oh, and nice. so they were my team. Uh, so I lived, the, uh, I'm a Titans football. fan. <laughs> uh, <sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> So I live in Nashville. Know, so. Why do you support the Rams? And back when they were in St. Louis, I was like, the first team I watched that day. Oh, okay, because it's, it's the most yeah. random team. To I mean, that was like Kurt Warner era, right? Like, yeah. They were a great team. Kurt yeah. Warner, Marshall yeah, Kurt Falk. Warner, Marshall Falk, Tory Holt, um, Isaac yeah. Bruce. God, the oh, greatest man. show on turf. They were insane. Oof. Well, sorry things didn't work out. I, oh, uh, man. This, I, this year. So bad. <laughs> I'm still mad about <laughs> it. Boring, boring Super Bowl in recent history. Oh, I know. We yeah. were so excited up until that point, and then we ran into the Brady Belichick sort of like shutdown. I was like, okay, fine. Whatever. I'm a I'm an Arsenal fan. Okay. So so I don't know what that makes us. We were Not we exactly were <laughs> until until <laughs> up until when Chelsea and Man City started like really challenging. It was Arsenal and yeah. Manchester United. It was Ferguson right. versus Wenger. That was yeah. That was the rivalry, and yeah. we had the better of you guys for a while until that season. Oh God! They so my friends who were Arsenal fans never shut up about that unbeaten the the unbeatables, mm. the uh, or the Invincibles. Where I can't remember where you, where you went forty nine games without a loss. They just would not go. Yeah. Stop going on about it. I was like, okay, whatever, guys. We're still going to win this, the you know, the Premiership or whatnot. And then we had the treble winning season, and also fans were mad about that. And then you guys came and won the double pretty much straight after that. So it was just always back and forth. And then yep, yep. Chelsea and Man City suddenly got like this influx of cash, and then suddenly it was like, oh, the landscape is a bit different. Then Tottenham came out of nowhere, and yeah, it's. I look yeah, at the table even now. though like Arsenal's not very good. 
I still like the Premier League more now than I did back then. Back then, okay, yeah. Because it's just more. There's, I mean, competition just yeah, makes it, it more interesting. When you look at like the table five or now, six teams, five or six teams that have like a legitimate shot at least at the title. It's more fun when there's only two or three. So, but I just picked. I, you know, I grew up in the states, so. Uh, if you're over here, like you, and you want to watch Premier League soccer, like you just sort of pick a team. And at the, like in kind of my formative years growing up playing soccer, you know, uh, Arsenal had Thierry Henry, and like this is like, you know, my favorite player. So you just sort of pick a player that you like in this team, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm I'm an Arsenal fan, and I stuck <laughs> with it. But yeah, man. Um, so so what are you? Uh, so you you're not going to church or anything anymore. But do you, would you say like you're I mean, aside from like praying for yourself in difficult times and other things like that, would you say like your your upbringing, your your faith, like impacts the way you you work, the way you see the world? You, can you think of like does that influence the, how you how you view the world and how you you go about your daily life in any other like tangible ways? Yeah, I think so. I think like it's one of those things, and I think this is across most religions, but definitely in my case. Um, I try and I try and do good, right? Because I, I because it's it's that it's you you're taught to like treat others as you'd like to be treated, you know. I and I feel like I try and put things out into the world with the knowledge that like I'm doing, you know, you, you know what you learn. It's like you know the, the teachings of Jesus in the in the New Testament and stuff like that. I feel like I try and at the very least, you know, consciously try and live my life with that in mind. Um, I don't. I don't know. How, I, I don't know how that translates into work so much. In because I feel like that's a completely different environment to sort of like life. Um, because there's there's different expectations when it, when it comes to work, right? In terms of how how interpersonal relationships work. But obviously, I'm not going to be like I'm not setting out to be a dick or anything like that, right? To people, mm. obviously, that's that's not. You you have to get on with the people. You or at the very least, you have to work with them. So you yeah. Know, I think that that's kind of like just a bare minimum there, but I definitely in, in terms of in life um, is it's a weird thing, even in like how I use. So one of the things that has definitely impacted everyone um, more so now is social media, but even, even like the way I approach social media, right. I think there's definitely an aspect to like, you know, not everyone comes from the same place in terms of their learning uh, in terms of their privilege, in terms of, just how they view the world. Some people are a lot more sheltered. And I feel like I always give people the chance to show me what they're about first before, you know, reacting as I would do in real life. So it's like, if somebody comes yeah. with like an air of, Hey, I, I want to understand the thing, then I'm going to take the time to like, Hey, okay, you don't get this. This is what you need to go read. Or let me explain this to you if I have the energy. But if somebody comes at you with like, I'm just closed off and you're wrong kind of thing, then it's going to be like, okay, I gave you an opportunity and you didn't want to mm-hmm. take that. So bye, you know, kind of mm-hmm. thing. Right? Um, so I think, I think even with that, in that regard, it's that, like, I feel that like, you know, with regard to, to, to touch back on, on faith, I feel that like, that's one of those things that like, you know, you, you look at like, um, you look at the stories of the new Testament, you look at the stories of like Jesus's life and how, like, even with regards to everything that he had to endure and had to face, it was always with a view to forgiveness. It was always with a view to like mm-hmm. pulling them back in, forgive them father for they don't, for they know not what they do kind of thing. Right. And I think like that always kind of pops into my head eventually. And it's like, oh, you sweet summer child, you just don't know. Mm-hmm. And I hope you find a way to know, you know, like, kind of thing. so <laughs> sweet I think it's summer child. <laughs> I think that kind of like drives a lot of my interactions with people just in, in life online, you know, yeah. I always I always try and see the good in people unless they very explicitly show you that they don't have any, in which case I'm like, well. Dude, doing that on social media, like that is doing the Lord's work right there <laughs> because like this idea of, you know, assuming positive intent or even just forgiveness or like, man, it's one thing to do it in person, but I think social media, I just, I mean, you did community management. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can... Well, I know you can speak to this, but like, I just feel social media is too much power for most of us humans to wield properly. <laughs> You're right. Uh, I think, and I think that, but I've, so that's the thing. I think you having the understanding of that puts you in a better position than a lot of people because it, you, you realize, I, I'll quickly 
uh, tell you something about like this. So my, my job uh, or these getting to Ubisoft, I mean, as, you know, part of it was YouTube, but a lot of that was driven by social media. I was able to use social media to get the stuff I was doing in front of the right eyes. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I use that story all the time when people go, oh, it's just Twitter, this, that, and that. I'm like, no, I know a lot of people who have like got into positions where they're like, they can't believe what the hell is happening to them as a result of Twitter or as a result of any social yeah. media. It's how you use it. But yes, it, you wield a lot of power, especially if you have some sort of audience, right? You have to always be mindful of what you're putting out there. Um, and, you know, like, like you said, it's like assuming the best, it can be exhausting, but I, you know, there's always still the check. I'm like, do you mean this this particular way? Are you being sarcastic? I can't quite tell. And then the person mm-hmm. comes back with like, no, you're this, that, and the other. Especially as somebody like, I mean, in my case, and a lot of the people I work with, you know, it's like if you, you your face is there, so people automatically see it's like, oh, this is this is you know this person person of color or is a minority or this that and the other. And if they already have that ill intent, then you, it's just a lightning rod for stuff like that, oh, right? Yeah. So yeah, um, I was going to ask about that because I think like like. I really enjoy following you on Twitter and I think you do a really good job of having this like, I don't know, um, like there's Twitter can be a really like over oppressively negative uh, space sometimes. Um, and I think you manage to, to bring a lot of like positivity into that space. Um, and I, I think like also too, it can be um, like, it can be hard to, to maintain that kind of mentality as a person of color, I think, just because, I mean, obviously I'm speaking from ignorance because I'm not a person of color, but um, because of all the, like, all the hatred that there is in that space, like, how do you, how do you ma- manage to do that? Like, is, is it something conscious that you think about or? Oh, yeah. I'm just curious. And That's probably where the prayer part comes in. <laughs> yeah. Lord, help me navigate Just Twitter today. Lots of, <laughs> um, yeah, lots of prayer. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have that, uh, you know, kind of like grounding in community management. And you, you learn mm-hmm. to spot a lot of things very quickly. So it's like you're, you're aware of the fact that, okay, I'm in this particular position, which means there's already a certain contingent that are going to be gunning for you, regardless of what you do. Um, oh, yeah, so yeah. you, you kind of have to like, learn how to very quick i i do a thing where um probably spend far more time than i need to but i do a thing where it's like if i see something brewing up i'm welling up and in this case say for instance like unfortunately um with your president um yeah uh you know discussions happening (laughs) discussion is happening about like maga or whatever i will preemptively block people who i know are going to be a problem further down the line and Mm -hmm. i curate the experience that I have like very heavily. And so I, I realize that it's like, I can't rely on Twitter to do that. So I have to do that for myself. And it's yeah. not, it's not from a, I don't want to hear a difference. And, and this is, this is, this is key, right? I tell a lot of people they're like, Oh, you don't want to hear a different opposing view. No, I don't want to hear a different opposing view that is rooted in dehumanization of myself or people yeah. like me and stuff like that. I don't have time for that. Preach. If you're yeah. coming with an opposing view that makes sense and isn't rooted in bigotry or hate, then sure, I'll listen to you. But like you, some people have already like drawn their line in the sand and I'm like, that's fine. I don't need that in my life. And so I will just block yeah. and I'll need to see that. And, but yeah, it's always a conscious decision what I decide to engage with. And especially if you have days where it's like overwhelming negativity, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, here's some terrible cooking. Guys, let's just laugh about something. <laughs> Please, <laughs> anything, right? But I'm also conscious of it not being forced positively. I'm not going to be like, hey, good vibes, everybody, because it's like, mm, I battle. Yeah. <laughs> of, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I, I battle with like um, depression myself, right? So it's like, I can, mm. if I don't have that energy, I'm not going to put that out there, you know? But, like, mm-hmm. if I'm like, you know what? I feel like I need to pick me up. What's going to make the people who are following me at the very least laugh or come together about something? that isn't terrible and oh you know here's a thing or here's something somebody said or here's something about me that i haven't revealed to anybody before kind of thing or whatnot so yeah i you know it's it's a very curated experience but it has to be unfortunately for some of us that's so good i think there's so much wisdom in that because i hit this point i don't know three or four years i'm not on twitter well i am on twitter but i've used it since like 2014 um 
but Facebook's mostly where the action happens for me. And I hit this point, I don't know, three or four years ago or something where it was like, I just felt overwhelmed just scrolling through that news feed. Like partly just people that I don't even know anymore or people that I knew for like, you know, a couple years in high school and I'm seeing stuff about their kids or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I love you, but I just can't carry this many people in my brain. Um, but then another part of it too, is exactly what you're saying where it's like these just hate filled or really negative kind of things. And so, man, I live for the unfollow button (laughs) in Facebook because I, you just, and I I think people, it's such a practical thing that you can do. And that's why I think there's so much wisdom in it, you know, with Twitter, Instagram, any of these things, um, is yeah, to like curate that experience and not to live in a bubble, um, but to protect yourself from undue or, you know, unwarranted like negativity or just nastiness, you know, yeah. I think there's a lot of wisdom there. And it, it's yeah. funny. We, I, a friend of mine always makes this joke uh, based on the Marie method, you know, Marie Kondo. Who had the? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is bring joy. Had Netflix. Yeah, I saw that meme the other day. Yeah. yeah, that was good. But it's like it's one of those things that, like, a quick check in my head. It's like, does this spark joy? Either way, yeah. and it's like, no. Okay, get rid of it. You know, kind of. Bye, thing. <laughs> bye. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. yeah, I need to do that probably to my Twitter. There's part of me that like feels this, um, this like uh, I don't know, responsibility to like try and. And some of some of the people in my feed who are um, like have some kind of hateful stances and and, and views um, to like try and guide them, fix them. <laughs> but yeah, here's yeah. the see that's the beauty of the unfollow, not unfriend. Yeah. So you unfollow. You I just don't see their stuff. They still get to see all of my quality content. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just don't have to see their bullcrap. Yeah, on Twitter, so on Twitter almost, the equivalent yeah. is mute. So you can mute yeah. a person. And I mean, like, I say this wholeheartedly in that, like, I know even, at least I, it's complete, my, my online presence shifts over time in that, like, I know a few years ago, anybody who was following me was probably going to get to a point where they're like, I need to take a break from this guy. You know, because it was like <laughs> yeah. too much game stuff or it was just too much of me or whatever. So like, yeah. you know, there's a balancing yeah. act there, but like, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're tired of somebody on, on Twitter or whatever, you like, you can mute them. If you're worried that it's going to be a big problem, if you unfollow them and then they notice, cause it's usually like, right. It's like, they notice like, why did you unfollow me? Yeah. So yeah, I, but yeah, no, I think like with, with Twitter, especially because of the high churn, right? Like, so that's one of those things you learn kind of like in social media management and community management, like the different platforms just have like that different sort of like vibe and Twitter is just the highest churn of the lot because it's, it's constant. And that's why I take some info. Sometimes I just like disconnect because Twitter will give you stuff in real time for as long as you keep yourself engaged in real time. Mm. It's just going to be constant. And when some news breaks, everybody's suddenly talking about the same thing. You can't escape it. So I would just, sometimes I would put my phone away and I'll go and do something. And I would like, oh, I don't even know what the hell happened to come back. Oh, that happened? Cool. Something burned down? Okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah, amazing yeah. how like when you step away from it, it seems just so less urgent. But when you're mm-hmm. in it, it's like everything is urgent. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I think there's some sort of, balance there I guess that I need to figure out how to strike because like I do want to help some of my friends uh or people I'm connected to online but I also we all need to like realize uh there's only so much we can do and uh you know you got to figure out a way to navigate those spaces in a way that's like personally not um unhealthy for each for for you as like a as a human being um, cause it is, it's, it's been like a tough couple years, I think at least, uh, if not more than that for at least <laughs> for these spaces, you know, like it's just a, well, it's, it's a, it like on, until, yeah, until a couple of years ago, right. It wasn't a daily assault in like on your senses 
because like I I know a lot of people who wake up and they're like, oh, what is it going to be today? Because it's going to be something today. And that's that already sets you up from the start of the day. That already sets you up in an almost defensive mood. You're waiting for the thing to happen that's going to set everyone off. And they're like, okay, what's going on? And then it's discussions that maybe people expect you to be a part of. And then your silence is noticed or whatever. And it's like, I think I've become a lot more selfish in that regard, in that like, I can disconnect whenever I want. I'm not obliged to be online all of the time, unlike when I was a community manager. And even then, there were still times when like I would enforce a break. But my my current job doesn't require me to be engaged 24-7. So I can do that, one. And two, mm-hmm. like some things I just I don't need to like I think that was one of the biggest things for me. I so some things I don't need to be a part of, some things aren't about me. You know, um, I'll yeah. give you an example. Like there's, there is the phenomenon that is black Twitter. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's like, this is, it's, it's a thing and it's huge and it's great and it's fantastic, but it's so fast moving, <laughs> but it encompasses a lot of the, the diaspora. Right. But there's some conversations I just can't speak to. and don't need to speak to because it's about an African American experience that I only have a limited, you know, sort of like connection mm-hmm. to right? Yeah. Just in terms of lived experience, like I'm African at the end of the day, right? And then I lived in the yeah. UK. So if anything, I can speak more to British topics a lot of the time than I can, than I can like, you know, American. So like sometimes I'll see things scroll right. across the timeline. It's funny, but like, I don't need to get involved in it or whatever. Um, because I... So you're saying you don't always have to share your opinion on you social media. You don't always have to. You don't always have That's, to. Don't always, I, I, and I don't know. Like this is a personal lesson that even to to this day, I still like, sometimes I, do you, if I ever shared, if I ever did share my drafts on Twitter, it's just going to be a lot mm-hmm. of things where like I've started typing something. And I'm like, nobody yeah. needs this from me. And I just need Dude, it. Dude, that's, that's another very practical, that's some practical advice. I do that same thing where sometimes it's just cathartic to type it out and then delete it. It gets it out of your brain. It gets it out of your system, but yeah. then you can read through it and be like, you know what? That's not serving. That's not serving me. It's not serving anybody else. Delete. <laughs> Practical yeah. advice. This is great. So just be careful you don't accidentally click send. No, I you see that's so that's that's one of the lessons I learned from community management because the ever the ever present fear was of being on the brand account and <laughs> oh, that's something right. that you should. Yeah. It's like yeah. or tweeting with a typo. Which is if, which is probably even scarier than tweeting something that you shouldn't. But it's just sort of like the typo That's will fine. always haunt you because if you're on a brand account with what at the time the Assassin's Creed account had 1.2 million followers, I was like, I am holding a big sword to 1.2 million <laughs> and I miss type receive or something, and then it immediately oh. gets like a thousand retweets. There's no pulling that back. That engagement's there. Somebody's probably That's screenshotted done. it. They're like, oh look at this social media manager can't even spell. You know that kind of thing. Oh, so it's gosh. like I would triple check stuff. I would triple oh, check yeah. things. I would run it through every spell place. check. I will write things out mm-hmm. in the notes where I can't mistakenly tweet it. Then pull it over. Have somebody else do a sanity check. Like I and I still do those checks with myself on my personal account where it's like, ah, uh, okay. Um, Maybe I should word this better because someone might take this the wrong way. You know that kind of thing? So, yeah, there's always like... What a time uh, to be alive. Three checks I before I press two. <laughs> yeah, because like I have access to our Love Thy Nerds Twitter. And, uh, <laughs> I was hoping you were going to bring this up, Drew. Yeah, at least once a week I like accidentally retweet something from Love Thy Nerd that I meant to retweet from my own account. Oh, so no. It's kind of a it's running usually- joke with our staff of like, it's either old man Drew or old man Matt or one of our other guys <laughs> that like, it's mostly yeah. on Facebook though, because mm-hmm. Facebook, you can, you know, you switch back back yeah. And, yeah. and forth between the accounts, you know, either your personal or like accounts that you manage. And I mean, it's pretty often that somebody, it's not always Drew or Matt, uh, will comment on just some person's random thing as Love Thy Nerd <laughs> instead of our own personal. Yeah, it's usually like, pretty well, harmless, but one of yeah. these days I'll do something awful. One of these days. Accidentally, it'll be catastrophic. So the one I've thankfully never had, I don't know if you guys remember, um, it was United Airlines. This was even before like they had some of their more recent PR woes, but it was United Airlines and their social media manager at the time Lord knows what they were doing, but they needed to paste a link w- along with some copy that they'd written. And it was on web Twitter. So, you know, sometimes you paste a link on web Twitter and it will auto-populate from the website that you're pulling from. And then they press tweet. 
and then 20 minutes later realized oh this was porn oh I, yeah i think i do kind of remember and, that and, oh no it was i was like oh no so uh, the control S, the control, the control C, control V. I was like, I will make sure triple check. It's like, what is this thing? Let me put this in the search bar in Internet Explorer, in Chrome, in Firefox. Okay, we're good. <laughs> oh, jeez. But yeah, the, I think the worst I've had was liking something. And yeah. Twitter still does this. But if you follow an account, you can go over to the likes tab and see what they've liked or favorited or whatever. And I think it was mm-hmm. liking something from the Assassin's Creed account. It wasn't. It wasn't anything crazy or whatever. But it was. It was. It was fan art that wasn't like I don't know, PG. It wasn't not safe for work. But it was one of those where it's like I liked it, and then the next day somebody was like, "Huh, Assassin's Creed liked my art." And then I realized <laughs> that this person's page, you know, kind of went between the two. They were as much right. sort of like safe art as they were not safe art and it's, it's fine uh, but it's like the fact that i was like oh maybe i'll take that back now thanks it's uh, <laughs> yeah. hey you made that person's day <laughs> yeah i think the, at least the, for one yeah. day the uh the scariest one was always tumblr right because uh, tumblr given given the nature of like the audience that that congregated there we followed a lot of fan artists on tumblr but people on tumblr before they split their accounts into like this is my day account and this is my nighttime account. People would have the same account and they just reblog all manner of things. So I was scrolling through one time and uh, my brand manager is walking behind me and I'm scrolling through trying to find something Assassin's Creed related to reblog. And this person had Transformers sort of like porn um, <laughs> that they reblogged oh, wow. overnight. Oh, but it's coming here. through like chronologically. Oh, so I'm scrolling. I don't even interact with it, but I'm scrolling. My brand manager is behind me and looks and he goes, Huh. So this is what community managers do all day, and I was like, I can't explain. Oh I, I'm like, I'm, I was in the process of, you know what? Never mind. It's fine. Just keep on scrolling. It's all good. <laughs> Transformers. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't of even course. know that was a thing until it happened. Of course. <laughs> wow. I'm glad you survived yeah. that. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> I had, I, it, the next meeting I had with that person, I was like, so here is um, a quick PowerPoint on the different audiences and the channels that we have. What you need to know about Tumblr is this. And so I explained, like, yeah, there are a lot of holy people on Tumblr. And yeah. if it exists, there will be, what is it, the rule 34? Is it rule 34? I think it is. 33, 30, yeah, some if 30 it exists, something. There is porn yeah. of it. So I was like, so this is what you saw. This is not one of my interests, but thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're fine. <laughs> there you Oof. go. Yeah, well. Well, man, it was great talking to you, uh, Andrian. I really enjoyed the chat. Yeah, and, um, so much. We respect your time here, but uh, but this was fantastic. Um, so uh, people can follow you on Twitter. I'm, uh, is that the best uh, yes. the best place to find you online? Yeah, I think that's the place I'm probably as as much as Instagram. So like I'm Escoblades pretty much everywhere on the internet, but mostly Twitter and Instagram. Uh, okay. What does it spell? It E S C O B L A D E S. Escoblades. Got it. Yes. So I'm on. There. And your YouTube too. What's your YouTube channel? My YouTube actually is. Um, so I will quickly explain this. It's G B I E S E, which doesn't follow the naming convention of everything else. But that is because those are the first first three letters of my surname, G B I, and then the first three letters of my Nigerian name, Esiosa. So it's G B I E S E. Cool. Great. Well, yeah, we encourage people to go follow you on Twitter and Instagram and all that. And uh, I know um, you got some exciting projects with Ubisoft coming up yes. that uh, eventually you'll be able to tell people about. So follow you on Twitter. I'm sure they'll hear about that as well. Um, anywhere else you'd mention online that people can, can those, uh, follow? Those are, pre- those are pretty much it. Uh, yeah. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, those are those are my Great. hangouts. Cool. Well, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm TrueDixon82. Chris is not on Twitter. He is on Facebook. Go fo- go be Chris's friend. Yeah, please. So I can unfollow you. Yeah, just don't say a bunch of like hateful things. <laughs> um, you'll be good, probably. Uh, unless he just decides on a whim to, what did you say, never. unfollow. I would never. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's it for us. Follow us on all the social medias. Just search for at Love Thy Nerd. We have a fantastic Facebook community. Just search for Love Thy Nerd community on Facebook. You're going to want to like Love Thy Nerd's Facebook page on Facebook and also follow, or not follow, but uh, ask to join our Facebook community. And a quick look to make sure you're not a robot. Um, 
or a spy or something, and we'll let you in. It's really pretty open community. Uh, we have a whole podcast network. We have Free Play. We have the Pull List, a great comic book podcast, and Free Free Play gets into all areas of nerd culture. Uh, we have a Facebook Live game show where uh, Matt and Bubba, two of our staff, review board games mostly uh, and talk about board games called Beard Bros. Beard Bros Game Show. So it's on Facebook every Friday. So if you follow our community, you'll get to see that as well. Uh, we That's about it. Anything else I should mention, Chris? We have a website that's really great, Bubblander.com. <laughs> yeah. uh, lots of great articles on there. Um, lots of great educational content. So we've recently published a list of uh, questions you should be asking as you try to start a board game night. If you're interested in starting yeah. a board game night, we've got you covered. We want to help you. Um, we've well, we've started recently... this new that new column too of like why nerd culture matters and those different articles. Yep. So like we have that one like why comic books matter, why board games matter. So it's cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to know why we do what we do, the website has all kinds of data, all kinds of articles that kind of uh, speak our heart on those things and why you should care about board games and comics and all these things and why they matter in the larger scheme of the world and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, we hope it, it helps you. Uh, and that's it for us today on Humans of Gaming. Thanks again, Andrew. This was awesome. Thank you. Really enjoyed talking to you guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers.